A quick note for all our Dutch listeners. Digital Werven's digital event is live. April 11, 12 and 13. Four talks a day, directly in your email box, with international keynotes like Hung Lee, Jerry Crispin and Bill Borman, and case studies from EY, the City of Utrecht, Diamond Shipyards and many more. Check it out at www.digitaal-werven.nl Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent from the Netherlands. My name is Bas van der Hattert. And from Barcelona, I'm Olga. And it's Das from Ireland. So we are talking today about bias and mainly algorithmic bias within recruitment. And if you haven't heard the general bias talk by Olga, Matthias and Akbar from last week, you should definitely check that out. We're not going to talk about how bias can creep into every stage. Now we're going to be talking about how bias in different stages can creep into algorithms at every stage. I want to start talking about the bias in the talent attraction piece. And the first thing I want to reference, and we'll link this article in show notes. And yes, it's in Danish, so I'm using Google Translate to actually understand any words of it as well, because Dutch and Danish do not look alike as languages. But basically, this was a, a research done by a company which says they have unbiased text writing tool who says chat GPT job ads are very biased. Now, to be honest, I don't trust this research one bit because it's basically a competitor saying without any evidence on at least what they consider to be biased, that it's biased. On the other hand, it wouldn't surprise me if writing text job ads with ChatGPT is biased because it's based on historical data. And historically, we've been writing job ads for the average white men like Desami. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? How can bias creep into the algorithms more in the attraction in the job ad piece? Should we be using AI to write them or should we be staying away from that? Olga, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I uh, actually, I saw a similar report by Textio. Textio is the company that actually does job ads, like it helps you debias them. And it was a similar report. And I'm now that you were talking, I'm thinking maybe that Dutch article is based on their research. And they kind of breaking it down as well, why ChatGPT uh, is biased and what areas and stuff. I can also send the link for listeners to have a look. But I think we could all, all start with saying that bias is everywhere and we all are consciously or unconsciously biased. And that would include the algorithms, I think, in my personal opinion, because algorithms are made and are based on some information that is out there that has been put by people that or systems that are biased as well in certain ways. I think my approach with using using AI for attraction and like uh, job ads, it definitely helps us in many ways, but we shouldn't rely only on that tool. So it's a good support. It helps, I don't know, uh, make it a bit more be marketable. But if we want to eliminate some sort of bias, do check, I don't know, with other tools, with again, with the text, I think it works great with another cross-references, see how it fits your company or the profile you're looking for. So use it, but don't necessarily only rely on the AI. That's my kind of take from reading it. Yeah, and in the case of, of Textio, I actually know how they measure 
what words resonate, especially uh, gender bias is what Textio is very strong at. And that's because they actually know how many people apply and they can directly relate it to words in there. So from Textio, I know what data they use to basically acknowledge that a word is preferred by men or women. Yeah, the percentage of the word of the text that like you need to reach, I think they give you the grades, how biased or unbiased this, this certain text is. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing about Textio, which I've noticed, is on the one hand, I love it because they actually use live data on applicants. On the other hand, if you have uh, jobs which more women apply to, for example, um, I found when I was working in the university with Textio that the word teaching was, according to them, a feminist word. But that might be because there's a lot more uh, in middle school and primary school female teachers there. So is teaching genuinely something that women are attracted to? Or is that something that the data shows that women are attracted to because it's a feminine job in many cases? So Textio has an amazing tool, but also one which I'm not completely sure isn't influenced by societal bias. No, and it shouldn't be like the only place of truth for sure. I think that's why you need a more 360 approach. You take a little bit from text, you take a little bit from AI, you take a little bit from Google or else. It's, it's funny, actually, you mentioned the job titles. Just now, like literally on my lunch break, I saw uh, on the news, on the Spanish news, they were discussing uh, how Google and all these search engines are biased because if you, for example, put lawyer uh, in Google search and you go to images, there'll be one picture of a woman and then there'll be 10 of a male. And then if you do like with kitchen stuff, it will be the opposite. It will be females. I think because of the Women's Day and all that theme, it, it's been on the news. I was like, okay, that's that's very relevant for the discussion. Yeah, and of course, uh, one of the things we, we should never underestimate is that a lot of job titles aren't gender neutral either. I mean, in the Netherlands, we literally have a different job title for a teacher, a male and a female teacher, literally a different job title. So their bias could creep in as well. Another part of talent attraction, which I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it as well, but one of the things which I've been playing with and, and I've been uh, researching a lot is actually the advertising of the jobs. Uh, by definition, for example, Facebook algorithms are biased because Facebook will optimize for clicks. So programmatic advertising will always go towards where you get the most bang for your buck. However, your ad influences who will click most on it. We know that a picture of a woman with a job ad will attract more female candidates and a picture of a man will attract more male candidates. And actually a picture of both men and women will also attract more male candidates on average. We know that people of color will apply more to photos of people of color. My thesis is actually that if you run a single campaign, because Facebook optimizes by campaign, not by job ad. So if you even if you have 10 different job ads with men, women, and, and of different ethnicities, it will still take the best performing job ad. However, if you have 10 different campaigns with all the different personas in there, it will optimize to that persona, which means you will actually reach women in tech, you will actually reach, and it will automatically optimize for the job ad and the text and the persuasive arguments. I remember a ship Hall a couple of years ago found out that for the same job, uh, men under 30 said salary is the most important thing, while women over 30 said is we have such great flexible working hours, I can combine this with childcare. And they had both in the job, but what do you emphasize in those 140 characters you can put into a Facebook ad? That mattered all the difference in who was going to apply for it. So by definition, 
I think programmatic algorithms are biased. Now you need to understand how they are biased in order to unbias them. What do you guys think? Should recruitment marketeers get a lesson in unbiasing biased algorithms? Des? Yes, I'm not a recruitment marketer, but I obviously have, I'm coming from growth hacking into talent sourcing. So in a way, that's really interesting to me. So the main thing that I I see about it is that biases, not just in recruitment, but anywhere can be hindering your performance, even just decision making. Typically in recruitment and with the algorithms, it's again, like the best is first is if you know that you have biases, and then also you have to be able to figure out of like, okay, how this tool was put together what are the typical outcomes they want from that tool what are the incentives like uh, you boss mentioned for facebook for example where facebook is obviously uh, incentivized uh, by you know getting the more even though it's it's not a fixed price like a linkedin ads but still like you know they obviously want to have the best resource for the more money while not not having their users you know go away from the platform who will see these ads so you have to understand the whole picture i think you have to go a bit holistic about that that's the main point but obviously training as well you have to be able to know what kind of biases are i had great linkedin post comments discussions about that what type of bias that may be like when they need for example you know just generally like when the hiring manager is looking for another because they want to be able to choose you know to decide between two candidates while it's maybe even you know pretty hard to even source one candidate who was maybe even good but they still want to see another that can be also like a bias of like you know having two points to look at yeah i'm thinking maybe you can when you advertise you do different platforms and different outreach campaigns with different visuals and different wording so you're essentially hiring for the same role but knowing like say as you said facebook is more on clicks they want something volume you put there something more generic then you go to more niche areas and you target the people so instead of doing just one job ad that you do on linkedin done or facebook ciao you go actually and spread it out and tailor it according to I mean, it's kind of biased in a way because you're going to tailor it specifically to the uh, group that you're reaching. But if you want to get this back, I think it would be more biased if you only do it for one group. But if you're doing the same across different and tailor it a bit, whether it's an image wording or whatever you're adding, the result, I think you're going to get more variety of different profiles back. Yeah, that, that is the way to combat it. And the funny thing is, in order to combat bias in programmatic advertising, you need to be biased in who you're targeting with your ads. The one difference, and, and we really I need to emphasize this to everybody, you can't put different ads in the same campaign because it will only pick out the one ad which gets the most attention, which is usually the white male in his 30s, because that's basically the biggest chunk of people in the labor force in most of the West. So last point on the talent attraction piece of algorithmic biases. Des, have you come across, because you're mainly in sourcing, any problematic biases in sourcing tools or risks of that? Yeah. Generally speaking, the typical scenario for a talent sourcer is so hard, especially in Europe. That's when they would, it's so hard to source, you know, fill this role. So we need somebody to actively go after them. So it's maybe not, not something that you would first 
come. But I think the, the algorithmic part is like, you know, all the databases practically that you have, like, you know, resumes as they are already are, you can be biased by just having the, like, if you go to Indeed and you source on Indeed, for example, for more the recruiter types, you have like, you know, what universities they were coming from. So you, you can already be biased by like, you know, where they were anchoring that, oh, that's like a really nice university, for example. If it's on LinkedIn, then you see the picture and even Hong Lee, uh, had some really great I think I found just one more he just shared one example of like you know how it was not in a recruitment setting more like a student setting how it, it can be biasing like you know when you see somebody they may resemble to somebody who you know and then you're already biased so I think oh like even LinkedIn especially the database tools like sales navigator but more like LinkedIn recruiter or recruiter like all the filters that you can use how much experience they have for example one of the one of the filters that you can use and obviously if you can mitigate that in a nice kickoff meeting with the hiring manager, then you're already better off of trying to push them away from the old way of like, okay, five plus years, and then, you know, the best universities, and that's the main uh, main way. So I, I would say I couldn't name one of these big uh, database tools. The outreach on the outreach part is practically, again, comes back to how you are putting together, like whether it's just a template that you haven't checked, but then it's not uh, no longer algorithmic because it's you doing the work, like it's a human input thing. The big databases that you use or the filters or if, or if there's a vendor who puts it together, just the same. Yeah, but that, that's, of course, mainly the, the input bias, not as much the algorithmic bias. So let's move on to the next step in the process, the selection piece, because this is where it gets interesting, because Workday has been sued by an organization or a big claim lawsuit that it discriminates against black people older age people and people with a disability. According to this lawsuit, this this, uh, mass action claim suit, um, the Workday ATS has an algorithmic way of basically downgrading these resumes. I'm really curious how this works out because to be honest, I think it's going to be really hard to prove that it was Workday and not the clients itself, because as far as I know, you set your ATS in the way you want it to be set. But it might be that Workday has some tests in there. I don't really know. Um, we'll share this article in, in the show notes as well. But I do think we all agree on the fact that by definition, an ATS or selection is probably the most biased thing. And let me throw in a thing here. By definition, every ATS uses an algorithm, even if it's on uh, you're sorting it on last name, that's an algorithm. You're sorting it on moments uh, of application. And we actually know that most ATS sort not on any form of quality, but on, on application date, which means that the first people to apply have the highest chance of getting invited because we have things like recency bias and we have things like priming effect. So is the bias in the selection process, even if we're not using any tool, maybe the worst bias? We can't combat because the only way we can't have a bias system is not to have an ATS anymore. Olga, any thoughts? Yeah, and I was, when you were saying, I was I was also agree. Well, very curious to see what how the workday case uh, rolls out. But yeah, those arg- algorithms are put there in place by somebody because by some company or whatever. So they are unconsciously or consciously biased for sure. To answer your questions, how we can tackle it. I think we should try and move towards the skill base 
profiles. So I know in ACS you see like all the data from the candidates, but maybe one of the solutions to try within, I don't know, your organization is to focus first on the skills, to put the skills on the top, because usually from ATSs that I worked with, you first see the name, surname, then uh, previous role. You don't really get to see the skills and the deep dive on the, not even qualifications, I don't want to say qualifications, but the work people have done, actual tangible work until you open the CV or read through the application. So we kind of, with ATSs, we are thrown first to their names and the like private basic info before we get to actually see what they've done. So maybe switching that around and first showing us what they're doing, what are their skills, what are they, I don't know, upgrading their knowledge on or something like that, and then only get to see the name, education, qualifications, etc. I like that. I like that. And I, I love the fact that we think we're going to skill-based hiring. I would love to see, for example, also more the testing of skills and, and relevant skills. I've actually, at one of my clients, implemented a system where we had, you know, the skills which we knew we needed for each job. At least that's what the handbook said. And uh, we tested them. And basically, we gave applicants a matching score on the skills which they needed based on the tests they were allowed to do and that way you get if you're using the right tests of course that's a very important part here but at least you'll get a matching score with the actual skills compared to the things in the resume like calibration no you calibrate the role and the skills that are needed to the skills of that test or of that cv or the profile so you don't compare well look at the names you actually compare Eightfold has that. We were using Eightfold at the moment, so you have that collaboration button where it literally breaks down your job description into skills, and then you can see some matched profiles and you see the skill. Like first thing you do is you compare skills to skills. You don't compare where the person's coming from. Yeah, that's so much better. That's so much better than, than and I mean, Eightfold has that and a lot of assessment providers deliver those things as well, where you basically just say, these are the skills we need and here's the matching or this is the, the part. Of course, I got to say that there is a big risk in using assessments and tests as well, because some of them are inherently biased. I recently learned, for example, that people who did not grow up in the Latin alphabet, basically what most of the world users but not the Chinese or the Khmer or the Russians actually are scoring lower on uh, some tests that's where you do pattern recognition for example if we're using numbers and letters 100% I, w I had that as one of the points to bring up as well if it's a wording or text it's not I have it from experience in Pepsi actually some of the assessments that we've done that East would score much lower than the West because also the culture, the, the working culture is completely different. So if it's, as you said, numerical and all the psychometric tests, then it's fine. Then, I mean, it's images, it's it's more across line. But if it's something to do like a business case or simulation or wording or writing an essay, it's very different. And it, yeah, it's not adapted across yet. What I've actually found is very interesting that a lot of tests uh, rely heavily on linguistics. And even if somebody is proficient, for example, in Dutch, that doesn't mean that a person whose second language is Dutch isn't proficient in Dutch. It's just it is below what I as a native Dutch speaker speak, which means that um, their interpretation of words might actually be different. I mean, even between the Dutch and the Flemish, we have the same words which have a different meaning, which 
can lead to really hilarious situations, but that's a completely different podcast. But and that's why using very heavily on the linguistic test might actually be biased, even though the test itself isn't biased, but the data input is. I actually know one company which was doing security officers who at some point saw almost nobody for, you know, first generation migrants coming to their test because they scored a lot lower, which didn't mean that they didn't have those those skills it just meant that they didn't understand the questions so you do need to use the right tests there's any thoughts on this before we move to the last piece of the yes the uh, with the workday part it just came up to me that like if work i i haven't checked obviously but one thing is pretty popular still in europe at least i've seen it in my network people doing ATS implementations as a consulting gig. And sometimes it's the ATS provider, the vendor, who even you know, offers this. So if they did that uh, at Workday with those big companies as a white glove service, like or migrating them from another, from a competing vendor's you know, platform, then you know, that may be a kind of a, an edge for Workday to be a bit uh, more culpable. Yeah, yeah, no, true. I'm really curious to see how this will pan out for Workday. I've got a last, and we're almost running up to the half hour here already, but the last piece I want to talk about is the interviews, um, because in part, Olga, you today tagged us all in a LinkedIn post by Hung Lee from Recruiting Brain Food, which we will also share in the uh, show notes. This was um, on International Women's Day, how men and women are treated different in the interviews. And this is also a piece of part algorithmic, by, maybe. Could you share what what the main issues were? Yeah, sure. Um, I won't go too detailed, but basically, Hung has highlighted four key issues. That the well, first one is candidate speaking time ratios. That usually we spend less time uh, with a female interviewer. Then the second one was about, and I'm gonna have a look. That uh, average interview length. Employees spend on average 30% less time when interviewing female candidates. So, and that's basically, that surprised me because in my experience, actually, it took much longer interviews I had personally with female. Maybe it's female with female. The third point was an interview on time start. So more disappointing that that was Han was pointing out that interviews don't start on time when it's a female candidate versus a a male. And the fourth one is affinity bias rampant that basically when it's male, interviewing male, they speak about sports and uh, they spend some time like building that unconscious bias and potentially favoriting the candidate because they have common, I don't know, they support the same team and, and this kind of conversations that don't happen when you're interviewing a female. So uh, these are key four points that Hung has uh, brought up from, from the research, which I found very interesting. But I saw actually more comments saying that would be very cool to see the data and where it's like what was measured, how the research came about. So this is all interesting points, but I would personally would like to dig in a bit more and understand how it was all measured. Completely uh, agreed. And what what I found most surprising uh, was indeed that the the only time when interviews started later when it was a woman candidate was with a male interviewer. The females were equally on time. A female-on-female interviewer, interviewee was a lot better than uh, male-to-female interviewee. Of course, this doesn't immediately have to do with algorithms, except for the fact that actually here we can use algorithms to show people the data. And I love, I I remember Brighthire did this before, and I think it was interview.io or some other company who actually saw that the speaking time from 
for women tech engineers was much lower than for male tech engineers. And if we can actually do that and, and report that, then we can actually show hiring managers the data on how biased they are. So here algorithms might actually be able to help us fix human biases. Of course, we've also seen a lot of really biased AI hiring tools. Um, I remember a German tool called Rotorio, which if you were sitting in front of the bookcase would add like four intelligence points or something to, to, to the same interview, which was ridiculous. I think there's a very easy fix to that. Don't show the names, at least before. Just say candidate ABC to your hiring manager. So at least we will el eliminate the on-time <laughs> piece because they won't know if it's a male or female. Potentially, maybe the small talk. Again, maybe we can use some voice coding platform that it's not your real voice, then you will never know if it's a male or a female. So I think that, that in future, there will be platforms like that where you can decode your voice. On the other hand, what you're now saying is actually an asynchronous interview without an actual person sitting there is less biased. But then we now also see that candidates really hate not having a person sitting across from them in the interview. So here we are battling the unbiased versus the candidate experience. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with that, we will end this show. We hope we inspired you on thinking about bias in algorithms and how you can potentially get that out of the algorithms or how you can at least look at it if it's in there. And we'll be back next week. Mm -hmm.